0: You know, today we have a very uh, fun text to go through because it's a text that really is one of the most quoted texts you will ever hear from those who are uh, not Christians or not Christ followers or not church attenders. And do you know what that statement is? Judge Judge not. Do not judge. Have you ever heard that said to you? Man, yeah, don't be judging me. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about really what does that mean? Because I I firmly believe that those statements are usually made by people who just want to be left alone. And there's two groups of people that can tend to want to be left alone. Uh, One group of people are those that don't like being told what to do at all and, in fact, live in this world, kind of buying into the lie of this world, and that is that there is no such thing as absolute truth, but you just make up your own truth, and if you dare to say that there is something absolute and you try to hold me to that, well, then, you know what? I don't live that way, so do not judge me. Okay, you, so there's that group. In fact, uh, do you know that uh, the, George Barna a research team did a poll of Americans and said that about 78% of Americans say the evangelical church is the most judgmental slice of our society today. And one of the reasons they would say that is because, you know, in being salt and light in a culture that is turning away from the Lord for sure, or has turned from the absolutes of the truth of God's word, anytime you start, try to speak into that, you're not going to be taken too well. Would you say that? Would you agree with that? Um, In fact, Gandhi himself said, your Christ I like, it is your Christians I have no tolerance for, because they are so judgmental. Would you agree with him that Christians can be judgmental? Oh man, I would agree with that. I, I, I could see where he'd say that, but the difficulty is and i'm, I'm just going to invite you into a little bit of uh, my story in this subject matter um, you know i have had a very dear friend for many years and we did a lot of ministry together and just a incredible encouragement in my walk with the lord and i like to believe i was incredible encouragement with his walk with the lord and then some things happened around COVID, and he started making some choices that were totally not in alignment with god's word and i had to say you know what because of your influence, I just say this from a brother to brother, because of your influence, uh, man, I would encourage you to step down from those rules of responsibility until such time as you find yourself really embracing really the truth that you're so vehemently going against. To which he said, Brian, you're judging me. Okay? And in trying to come alongside that has said you know what I, I just i i've got to move away from this territory because this territory this uh, arena it's just like where they were living in texas it's just like you know what this is way too judgmental i want to get a new start somewhere else That's what's so difficult about this whole subject matter we're talking about today. Maybe you found yourself, it's just like, okay, well, I don't feel like I'm judging. I feel like I'm coming alongside and trying to help a fellow brother and sister in the Lord. And I think one of the reasons why the Church of Jesus Christ has gotten so far off track is because of our unwillingness to really biblically embrace what our text is saying today. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna look at the first six verses as we talk about really the authentic life. And when I talk about the authentic life, it's like what is the life that Jesus Christ has provided for you to live and how do we live that in a, in a manner which um, is true to our calling as brothers and sisters in the Lord. At this time, I'm gonna invite Lisa uh, Garen up here onto the stage and uh man i've had the privilege of getting to know lisa and she does some receptionist work for us here at the church does an incredible incredible job and lisa i just want our church family just to get to know you a little bit
1: hi i'm lisa garen and i've been coming to this church roughly 15 plus years and most of you i and i do attend the first service so i may be strange to some of you but i've I have pushed God out of my life, all my life. I felt that I needed to do this on my own and uh, didn't work out so well. And when I finally accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that's when my whole life has changed tr- tremendously. Amen, and I could see that. In fact, Lisa's one of those who are gonna be baptized
0: next Sunday um, in her baptism, so it's gonna be incredible. And really, Lisa, what I hear from your story is that it is possible to go to church and not know the Lord.
1: Oh, I certainly didn't get engaged for many, many years. Yes. So yes, it is possible.
0: Well, I tell you, it's wonderful to see how the Lord is just shining into you and out through you. you. So, you. hey, could we stand for the reading of God's word? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6.
1: Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take that log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to to attack you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Hey, please join me in prayer. Lord God, uh, would you teach us this morning how to rightly divide the word of truth so we can show ourselves as workmen who don't have to be ashamed, people who accurately handle uh, these words that are true and life-giving. Yet we know, as a matter of fact, that there is nothing so dangerous as a truth that is misunderstood. So teach us what you will today from a text that has gone so misunderstood through the years. Open the eyes of our hearts that we would apply this rightly. Teach us now, Holy Spirit, we pray. And now God's children said, Amen. 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 Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much. Church, um, one thing that is very popular in Christendom, and that is for people to memorize verses and to quote verses, and not really understand the context in which different verses are quoted. Like, for instance, you you know you're coming up against a very impossible task, and oh man, I, I you know I, I I'm I'm taking my final exam, and um, you know I haven't studied much, but you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me right? I mean, that's what an example would be of people who just say, yeah, that verse, throw that portion of a verse on a mug, I'm going to embrace that, hold on to that, use that when convenient. But I think many people do that even to this verse, uh, Matthew 7-1, judge not, man, God's word, Jesus himself, in my Bible it says red letters, judge not lest you be judged. And I tell you, that resonates with people, especially in a society that has grown to tolerate everything. If you dare to speak into any kind of truth whatsoever, I mean, things that are just so basic, it's almost like, yeah, but you're judging me. In fact, you know, today under Michigan law, I can say, I want to change my gender on my driver's license, and I don't have to have any doctor approval to change that, and I'm going to change my name to Carolyn. Okay, now, years ago, the American Psychological Association would say, Well, if you did that, Brian, you would think we were a little bit crazy, and we would call that a mental illness. Now, The American Psychological Association would say that if I say, you know what, probably not a good idea, Brian, it's like, no, you who are correcting that, you are the one with a mental disorder. I mean, that's why so many people are just going, how in the world is our society changing so rapidly? It's because we are tolerating everything, but if, you know, but if the text says, judge not lest you be judged, what are we to do about this? So I'm glad you asked, so glad you asked because whenever you are studying God's word there are some principles of bible study that are really important for you to get down. I want to put this out in front of us before we get started today. The first is observation that you've got to understand the context. So we for those of you who are new with us as a church family we've been doing the sermon on the mount for the summer and so we've called this uh, summer on the mount where we've been investigating Matthew 5 6 and 7. Jesus is most impactful, great, incredible sermon that only lasted about 15 minutes if you read the text, maybe 10 minutes. And uh, with that absolutely amazing, amazing material, but when you look at who Jesus is addressing, so many times he is addressing this group of religious leaders that kept following him around and criticizing everything he was doing. Man, he would see his disciples having, you know, walking across the the field and picking grain on the Sabbath and they go, oh, you're not supposed to do that. So the Pharisees were keepers of the law and they were the ones that had the hardest time with Jesus and Jesus had a very hard time with them because they were keeping the society in a system of measuring one another's behavior based on performance. And everything we know about Jesus, especially seen in the Beatitudes, is he wants to go after your heart. And everything that we're studying through this series does equip you to thrive in the society in which we live in today. He's saying this is kingdom living. This is living for something bigger than what you can see with your eyes. And so we've got to know that there were the... um, they were the, uh, the Pharisees who followed him around, and, and he has been known to call them hypocrites. He's called them whitewashed tombs. He's called them very offensive things, and if he's doing that, it kind of sounds like Jesus is judging now, doesn't it? But Jesus said, judge not. So again, what does this mean? You've got to look at the observation, and then through that, you've got to use interpretation. You've got to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. I think that is just so important. you got to say, where else is this subject matter? Because later on, in this very same chapter of Matthew 7, he's saying, watch out for ravenous wolves. You've got to watch out for false teachers. Well, how do you say somebody is a false teacher? It sounds like you're making a judgment, right? See, so we've got to get this right. Jesus, in Luke, um, luke was a doctor and luke in luke 18 beginning in verse 9 talks about a parable he's sharing a parable a parable is a story with a point that um, you just really had to wrestle with what the meaning was and notice I'm going to read this to you. In Luke 18, verse 9, it says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That is code for Jesus talking to um, those who thought their own goodness was good enough for God. And that's code for the Pharisees. Okay? So, then he says two men went up into the temple to pray One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collector was the scum of the earth in Jewish society because they robbed from their own people and they tended to benefit Rome in their robbing and and benefiting themselves. So Jesus is telling a parable and he has two very contrasting people. Those who were seen as the Pharisees who were, man, those guys are like the most righteous people we know. And then you have the tax collector. Oh, that's like the worst. So Jesus is comparing and contrasting these two. And he says something shocking. He says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Okay, how does that apply to our context? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those who don't go to Grace Spring Bible Church. You know, those who are this or that or whatever. I mean, we can be very judgmental in our prayers or our views of other people. And, And so this is just, I mean, that's a bad prayer, right? He says this so people can hear. And then he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He's saying, what? This... This lowest of the low, those that we have dared measure ourselves against, and look how bad they are, and look how good I am. Jesus says, no, the one who humbled himself, which reminds us of the very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, blessed are those that have a right view of themselves and a right view of God. That's who the tax collector, right view of God, right view of self. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here you have, Jesus sounds like he's making a judgment, doesn't he? I mean, he is just, he's saying, wait, wait, wait. I'm making the judgment because I'm God. I know the hearts, and that's exactly what you see Jesus doing here. It says... He knows the heart. So when you do Bible study, you've got to observe what is the context, how do we interpret the let's look at other scripture, and now how do we apply? How are we to be doers of the word and not me- merely just students? And so here is uh, four points I'm gonna give you, biblical parameters for judging, and I have judging in quotes, for judging rightly. And what verse one means of Matthew chapter seven is this, Don't play the role of God. You do not know somebody's heart. Now, you can make some judgments from the fruit of their life because always the fruit is tied to the root. However, you are not God. You do not know the entire story. He's just saying, yes, while we might evaluate, we cannot play the role of God. We have this reminded of a couple times in 1 Corinthians 4 verses 4 and 5. It says, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. See, God is always about the heart. He's not about performance. He's about the heart. He's about a real relationship with himself. In fact, in James, in the book of James, it says this in James 4, 12. It says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, so contextually, it says you have no right to ever play God. That is God's role alone. He is going to judge. He's going to judge everything as the righteous judge who knows the heart and motivations because the truth is all of us can put on a show for everybody else. We can sing. We can lift up our hands. And all we're thinking about is, man, I hope Liz's has an opening for us at lunchtime. I mean, we can do that. But look, hey, everyone's looking at me. Man, I want to look like a great worshiper. And we can start living for that false self versus living for the true self. God wants to go after the heart. Don't play the role of God is really what verse 1 is talking about. But then he says this, for with the same judgment you pronounce, uh, uh, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. I mean, that's a bad word. (laughs) You know, we we always, you know, uh, shy away from wanting to think that we ourselves might be hypocritical, which is we say one thing and live something else. But he says, man, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh, so there is an opportunity to take a speck out of our brother and sister's eye. Yes, there is. You see, it's not judgment, it's not declaring yourself as God. It's evaluating in the very same way a coach or a conductor evaluates and say, Hey, you know what? You're a little flat, you might want to tighten your string. What that is an evaluation. Oh, your throw, you need to put your elbow up more. No, that is evaluation. It says here, the implication in this text is this, that we need to uproot your hypocrisy before you confront another. We all have the tendency of having blind spots. We all have the tendency of being harsher on others in particular areas that we're strong in. Yet we don't want to be called out in these areas that we know a little bit more vulnerable in that area. No, we've got to uproot our hypocrisy. Romans 2, verse 3. Romans 2, 3 says this. Here we go. I know where Romans. is. don't have it marked here, but I just want to read this to you. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? I was like, I read that last night. I'm like, man, ouch, ouch, man that hurts that's that's why we've got to do the hard work folks of if we feel so led to confront another one in an area that is out of alignment with the word of god not in a manner like the pharisees of saying you lesser being because you are failing in this area but look how good i am no we must be a people that just say, Lord, please, I know that as a sinner, I'm susceptible to what I'm confronting them on. And so please, before I talk to them, let me look in the mirror. And that's a hard thing to do, but let me look in the mirror. Let me look at the mirror very honestly, because I know like all of us, we have the tendency to lie to ourselves and in this way it's like lord please just 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 speak to my heart speak to my heart and and see if there be any wicked way in me you see we've got to uproot your hypocrisy before you confront another but also in passages like second timothy second timothy Three sixteen and seventeen says this all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. Say what? See, that's what I was trying to do to my buddy. I mean, we were buddies for years, and it just, it breaks my heart that having been buddies for years, but then just trying to lovingly come alongside and say, hey, you know what? You're judging me, and I'm out of here. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm trying, I'm not trying to play God. I'm just trying to humbly say this is out of alignment. And uh, the Word of God doesn't say we're not to judge. It says that for the love of the church, for the love of the kingdom, we are to be in relationship where we can help one another, where we can spur one another on. You see, when you confront, because there are opportunities for us to confront, when you confront, you are to do it like Jesus. If I can illustrate this way, if you were uh, out mowing your yard on a windy day, there might be chances that you would have some particles of leaves or dirt or um, just something in your eye. I mean, I, I just had it happen to me yesterday. It was a windy day, it was mowing and all that kind of stuff, and if if that was you, and i just said hey you know what let let me help you man look i've got some tweezers here man you want me to help you out with these tweezers what would you say no, no way why would you say no because aren't tweezers designed to be able to pick th- you know pick something out of something else i mean why would you say no to tweezers Wrong tool for the job. I, I mean, it's just like your eye is so sensitive. I could slip. No, no, what does God's word call us to? It's just like, hey, here, here. And let, let me get a damp cloth. And, you know, I see where there's some stuff here. Let me gently get that out. That's really what this uh, text is saying, is that when you confront, you need to do it like Jesus. Do you remember when there was the adulteress The lady caught in adultery, and the Pharisees, it's almost like, man, they knew something was going to happen or set her up or whatever. Somebody caught her in the act of adultery, and under the law, in which the Pharisees were great at, under the law, they just said, hey, she needs to be stoned, so all of those, they got their rocks, and then they tested Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, man, uh, the, the law says we get to... Uh, stone to death, one caught in adultery. And do you remember what Jesus said? He who is without sin cast the first stone. Now that sounds pretty grace-filled. I mean, that's a merciful statement. But the law says, okay, the law might say that, but here is what I say. You Was without sin cast the first stone and it said one by one you heard the thud of the rocks. And then what does Jesus say to her? Hey, where are your accusers? And I'm sure with this incredible relief because her life was going to be taken. Here Jesus stands in the gap and he says, well neither do I condemn you. But then go and sin no more. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that? Because that's a, you are now saying, okay, yeah, you, you were caught in sin, but he's saying now, go and sin no more. You see, in the church, we have taken confronting sin, we have even taken the idea of sin, and I think as a church, we just so lessen the holiness of God, And we lessen the holiness of God by going, you know what, everyone's a sinner, I'm just gonna sin and I'm just gonna carefree and do exactly what I wanna do because in this world, I wanna get what's mine. And yes, we do have the freedom However, you do not have the freedom from the consequences when you make choices that take you down these roads that the loving admonition of a God who loves you is saying, I love you too much, follow my truth. This is not to take the fun out of life this is to give you life but everything in this world says oh you can't be a christian man that's taking all the fun out of life man i went to a secular college i've seen the party scene like nobody's business but you know i'm just saying i people say brian why don't you get drunk with us why don't you drink i said because i'm seeing the the morning after and it doesn't look good and why would i want that I want to remember what I'm doing the night before. I never want to be in a position where I do not know. But the world says, yeah, but man, that's taking fun away. And it's just like, okay, well, if you think that's fun, but it's just not fun to me. (laughs) Um, When you confront, do it like Jesus. Jesus was described in John 1, 14 as one with grace and truth yes tell the truth but lead in grace i think so many times people lead in truth and and because they've led in truth the grace part gets kind of lost because it's like this is what the bible says and it's like hey I don't follow the Bible, which reminds us of the final point I want to make here this morning. Never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. I think this is the biggest mistake church world makes, especially on social media, especially when it comes to political platforms. It's just kind of like, whoa, 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 wait. But I think we've got to be very, very, very careful. Those without the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God, why should we expect them to live holy lives when the only way I can live a holy life is every day dying to myself? It's the only way. It's the only way. You know, church. Um, We have got to allow ourselves to become involved in relationship because the day is past where people come to church because they believe and they're just trying to get with people they believe. Now, if you've moved geographically and you're looking for a good church, that's one thing, but the world is not going into the church necessarily to find answers, but they will be drawn to a church if there's genuine relationship. And you've got to allow people the genuine relationship. I I tell you, in summary, I I just want to talk through each one of these because it it just says that we need to be a lover of God's image bearers. We've, We've got to love God's image bearers. Who are God's image bearers? Every human being created on the face of this earth. But I think so many times we don't know people's contexts and we make judgments. And I think in the church, I just said the church has had a bad reputation. I'm just saying the church of Jesus Christ as a whole has had a horrible reputation of psychologically or mentally just saying, oh, they're too far you know, they're, 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 they're way too far. Look what they're doing. Look at, look at all they're involved in. Man, they are so far from God, they don't have a prayer. When honestly, those are the closest ones because they're seeing in their lifestyle, man, why is not this leading to life? You know, last night I saw the Johnny Manziel um, documentary on Netflix, and it was just very fascinating because I was living in Texas when the Johnny Manziel craze was happening, and, and it was kind of nuts. But he said, after I got all the notoriety, the Heisman, the winning, all this stuff, getting drafted in the first round, he says, it was all empty. I felt empty. And I go, I know, Right? Because God has created in each one of us this God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill. But my question for us is, are we going to be enough of a lover of God's image bearers where we dare to go into those territories to share the incredible news of Jesus? And therefore, to be courageous in our love. What would I say, be courageous in your love? Because if God put on your heart maybe a particular uh, grouping of people that, that you know let's just say you know those who are in the industry of uh, in the strip clubs or all that kind of stuff I've I've read amazing accounts of radical love of Christians who said man we are going to show the love of Christ and show the love of Christ in a way that they would never expect church people to show the love of Christ and because of that love. They've seen them come out of that industry and following the Lord. But the great risk of doing that is other church people. Hey man, I saw them coming out of that. You know, now I don't really recommend men to do that kind of ministry. But there have been a group of men that did start a ministry that aggressively went after that. And has seen the Lord do the most amazing, miraculous things. Sometimes I think if we don't have enough criticism from the church of Jesus Christ, then we're probably not loving as radically as Christ calls us to. Would you agree? Ah, food for thought. Three, spur one another on within the faith to love and good works. God has called us to spur one another on in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, don't for, forsake this assembly. It says, no, we need one another to spur one another on in such a variety of different ways. As I said a couple of weeks ago, this generation Z, this young generation from 24 on down to uh, birth, um, is called Generation Z. It's the first post-Christian generation born in the United States of America. Some are calling it the lost generation because this generation has no societal peer pressure to know anything about the Bible and definitely no peer pressure at all to attend a church. In fact, could look down on people who attend church, okay? That's Generation Z. But as I said two weeks ago, Generation Z, when they are getting the Word of God in their hearts, that's where revival is gonna happen. These kids are getting it. Our kids are getting it. I just, I love to be able to see that but they will continue to get it when we come alongside our parents and say, hey, let's partner with you. You know, every year, for some reason, I mean, this is always a test of faith, but for some reason, every year at this time, um, Sarah Norton, our GS Kids director, hands me a list and says, okay, I remember two years ago, it was like for us to go to two-hour kids ministry, we needed 140 volunteers in one week. And she said, this just seems impossible. seems impossible. I remember this two years ago, and sure enough, we had a Sunday, and we had 150 signed up. And we had kids' ministry both hours. It was phenomenal. And she was like, No way. Last year, same thing happened, but it was 100 people. We need 100 here within the next two weeks to be able to offer kids' ministry in both hours and to be able to have uh, the, the, the staff to support them well. Um, and we got that. Well, this year, you know, it's like we have 93 needed. We still have 93 needed in the next two weeks for us to be able to jump to uh, two-hour kids ministry programming. And as I've shared, this is an opportunity for the church to rise up and be the church and say, hey, God has gifted me in this area. I really want to be able to come alongside and help. And if God is calling you to do that, can you just, can we spur one another on where we can ask the question, man, how are you being the church? How are you being the church? And even you high schoolers, I see a high school, I see a college Students and some of you are here, it's just like the church is God's body working together, helping one another, spurring one another on to love and good works. So we do it that way, but we also do it by having relationships, serving alongside people enough to know that you can now, because of relationships, speak truth into one another's life. And that is a very healthy thing for the church of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? Because if we just attend, if you attend and you leave, attend and leave, you're not going to know anybody, and nobody's going to hold you to anything. And again, all of us have the tendency to lie to ourselves and say we're doing a whole lot better than we really are. Man, we want this to be a place where you flourish. Lastly, raise your love louder than your voice. Raise your love louder than in your voice a lot of people can uh, really voice a lot of outrage you use social media to do that you use different platforms to do that you've heard me say through the years i've never seen anybody win an argument on social media it just fans the flame fans the flame fans the flame Guys, yeah, as, as we were reminded earlier this year in first corinthians we are to contend for unity but we're also to stand for truth, yet to do that in a way that's seasoned with grace, just like our Savior. So have I stepped on enough toes today? I mean, I have no greater joy than to at least, and I say joy, but also fear, and I think a healthy fear of opening a text like this with you, and just saying, hey, you know, wrestle through that this week. I I, I just want to close in a time as the worship team starts getting ready for you just to have a time between you and the Lord and look up at these summary statements and just ask, Lord, have have I offended somebody or have I done something that might be construed as judgmental? You know, I had a couple that was just so, they did the hard work of of confronting me on something. And I had shared something in a sermon, an illustration in a sermon uh, earlier in the summer. And uh, with their context, they heard it as I was giving a license for um, people to only, you know, to, to take advantage of abusing or something like that. And I would just say, hey, abuse is wrong. Anyway, abuse is wrong. But I had said something that they took it as, and they said, hey, whether it was your intent, we didn't think it was your intent, but you said it, and all that kind of stuff. And I said, hey, thank you. Thank you for calling me out. And that doesn't happen much, especially to pastors. For some reason, pastors are like, oh, the untouchable ones. Heck no, there's too much catastrophic things happening in churches, because pastors think they're all that. We have the opportunity. I am not above what I'm sharing with you guys. We've got to be a church family that so loves each other where we go, hey, you know what? Even you may not have intended this, but here's how this was taken. I don't say that as a judgment. I don't say it to put you down. I say that humbly to exalt you so that you can uh, continue to run the race God has called you to. Um, because there's a lot of spiritual forces that want to s- cause you to stumble, become ensnared. And we've got to be a church that loves each other enough to dare to judge rightly. Judge not, yes, don't play God. But we have the responsibility to hold one another and encourage one another to become more and more like Christ. Amen. So, can you wrestle through that a little bit, and then I'll close in prayer after a little bit of time, and then we'll close with song. Father, we bring requests request to you right now. Lord, thank you for being a God who hears our prayers. Lord, um, thanks for being a great God who saved us from the destruction that we deserved. Thank you that you are slow to anger, that your judgment is delayed so that more can understand who you are. Lord, your you have said, be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect, and yet you know we can't be perfect, and that's the point. This is how we are poor in spirit, that we acknowledge that we can try in our best to be good enough, and the truth is we're not good enough. And like that tax collector who prayed, man, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I pray that we can humble ourselves and understand that all of us, all of us are susceptible to the same types of temptations and pressures. Maybe mine look a little bit different than yours, but the truth is we can all fall in one bad choice. And so, Lord, right now, may we willingly do the hard work, the hard work of being able to humble ourselves and allow your love to so fill us up that we have what it takes to be able to love others with that same love. But Lord, help us to keep that in order. Help us to claim what you have already said over us for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. And I pray if there's anybody now, wherever they might be, that does not know you or has not received that because they thought their good was good enough but have realized, no, it's not. it's only the saving power of Christ on the cross and his resurrection that paid the price for us and his resurrection prove that he has the authority to do that. And so help us to be a people who knows how to judge rightly and with humility and driven by love so that the church of Christ will be the light and the salt you've designed her to be. Continue to help this be an Ezekiel 47 church that is being transformed in the temple and, and, and in doing so that it becomes like a current of refreshment to dry places, where it becomes a current of, of a, a life to dead places, where it becomes a place of healing for hurting places, Lord. Help Grace Spring Bible Church be that kind of a church, Lord. But it starts with us right here. It starts with us being willing to do the hard stuff. Help us, Lord, we pray. In your most holy and precious name, amen.